for tuning in to the Sex Talk Love Talk podcast. I am your host, Ava. And oof, have I been learning a lot this last week. I have been learning about things that I regretfully did not hear about or listen to previously. I am astounded that while getting my bachelor's degree in social psychology and doing other social justice and social work trainings and internships, There are so many concepts and ideas that have been left out, particularly about different proposals that have been made on how we as a country can work toward and achieve Black liberation. It really is a shame to see all these ideas and frameworks of reform created by Black people and people of color basically being disregarded. But here we are this week, and I think many of us are now hearing these ideas, these reform proposals, loud and clear. One of the many ideas I've been exposed to this week is reproductive justice, which will be the topic of today's episode. Last week, thousands of people, along with myself, joined a webinar called Defending Black Bodies, a Reproductive Justice Town Hall. And there were about 10 speakers who shared wonderful stories, wonderful advice, and calls to action to defend reproductive justice and to defend racial justice. All the speakers illustrated that we as a society cannot have reproductive justice without racial justice. The strength of the speakers was inspiring, hearing them talk about reproductive justice, community health, and Black liberation really expanded my understanding of sexual health and reproductive health and justice. The speakers came from multiple organizations around the country. Some of these organizations included Black Women Wellness Action Project, Abortion Care Network, and Sister Song Women of Color Reproductive Health Collective. I'm going to include their websites and the Instagram accounts of the speakers and organizations, along with a link to the Facebook Live, in case you're interested in listening in on what they all had to share, which I highly recommend. It is truly relevant and important for all folks to see and understand how interrelated racial justice and reproductive justice are. Okay, let's get into it. What is reproductive justice and what elements does the society need to experience and have access to true reproductive justice? There are four main points that I'm going to go through today. Firstly, to have a society that experiences reproductive justice, everyone must have the power and the resources needed to decide whether they do or do not have children. For someone to have control over whether they do or do not have children, they must have affordable and close access to products such as birth control pills or the IUD. They need access to condoms, the plan B pill, and abortions. Not only do they need access to these services and these products, but they need access to the education that tells them what these things are, what they do, and where to get them. 
I have an episode called Our Barriers to Birth Control. And in that episode, I mention how receiving birth control pills is especially difficult for certain groups, including people living in rural communities, people with limited access to transportation services, people who work multiple jobs, people who don't have insurance, and people who don't have the funds to pay for these services out of pocket. These barriers that I listed are very relevant to low socioeconomic groups, and it's relevant to racial minority groups. We as Americans are living in a society that systematically and purposefully makes it difficult for certain communities and certain identities to have the access and education needed to have an uplifting and autonomous life, which is essential in having reproductive justice and reproductive freedom. We see systematic, underlying, and constant economic oppression in communities of color in many aspects, like the fact that low-income white families are more likely to receive mortgages compared to middle to upper-class black families. This shows how the color of someone's skin, how their race, goes into consideration when taking the steps needed to gain financial freedom and comfort, like owning property. Something I read about is the idea of whitening resumes. Researchers have looked at what happens when they send in resumes with African-American-sounding names, Asian-sounding names, and white-sounding names. Now I'm going to be spitting some numbers your way. The researchers saw that when they sent in the same applications with the names and racial cues removed, 25% of black applicants received callbacks with their whitened resumes, while 10% got calls when they left ethnic details on the resume. They saw that white-sounding applications were about 15% more likely to be called in for an interview. In the study, they saw a similar pattern in Asian applicants as well. And they saw these patterns even in companies that claim to have an inclusive hiring process. Okay, so how are those examples related to reproductive justice? Well, for one, owning property and having fair access to jobs is a huge indicator of how monetarily successful, how successful in terms of money, how comfortable in terms of money a person can be. When we're living in a system that clearly and routinely makes it more difficult for Black people and people of color to access financial freedom and power, that impacts multiple parts of their life, including their access to the resources and education that allows them to decide whether they do or do not have children. How can someone pay for an abortion, let alone find a place to receive an abortion, when they're living in a poor rural community because their family name is discriminated against when trying to find work elsewhere? How can someone have control over whether they have children when they are a low-income, full-time student and full-time worker and keep needing to miss their doctor's appointment, which gives them a birth control prescription? This is just the tip of the iceberg of basic economic and racial facts in our country that relate to unequal access to reproductive health care and education. There is much more to say about this.
To truly live in a society with reproductive justice, we all need to have the ability to decide whether or not we want children and to have affordable and easy access to the products that allow us to make those decisions. That's what we just talked about. And in addition to that, everyone must have the right to choose what is done to their bodies. And they must have access to the education and resources needed to fulfill that choice. So everyone must have the right to choose what is done to their bodies. We have, as a country, a disgusting history that includes people of color not having the right to choose what is done to their bodies. I'm sure you can think of things you've heard in history and in the present that involves brown and black bodies being forced to use their bodies in ways in which they did not want to and do not want to. In terms of reproductive justice, let's talk about the history of our medical system giving forced sterilizations to Black, Asian, Mexican, and Indigenous men and women without their consent. This forced sterilization is referred to as sterilization abuse and is also referred to as eugenics, which is the study and the practice of controlling reproduction in society. This is something that is truly upsetting to think about, but we must understand how relevant reproductive justice and racial justice are. Sterilization abuse is targeted toward individuals and groups who are deemed to be inferior, undesirable, or dangerous. Right now, I'm looking at the front page of a popular science magazine. The year is 1923. And the front page article is written by the U.S. Senator from Kansas. And the article is titled, How Kansas Developed Fitter Families, a Remarkable Experiment in Eugenics. Fitter families. Hmm. We can all guess who were considered fit families. The wealthy, the white, the able-minded, and the able-bodied. We have this situation of medical facilities and government officials having this say over who will raise desirable and fit children. Sterilization abuse was and still is used on people of color, poor people, incarcerated people, and individuals with neurological and physical disabilities. This is considered to be family planning. While there was a movement of people in the U.S. advocating for reproductive rights, eugenicists advocated for low-income and disabled people to be sterilized in order to have a clean and perfect country, and this disproportionately affected Black women. These procedures were predominantly from about 1910 to 1980 and were all federally funded. I repeat, the United States government was paying for non-consensual sterilizations in minority communities. Oftentimes, women were coerced into getting sterilizations. There are many instances of illiterate women signing consent forms, thinking they were getting a birth control shot. They manipulated patients by telling them that their government-funded assistant checks would no longer come if they did not get sterilized. 
They would tell women that the best prevention for future unwanted pregnancies was sterilization without educating them on other forms of birth control. Patients were misled and misinformed on their birth control options, and these patients were targeted specifically because of their race. Instead of educating patients on safe, legal, and reversible contraception, they illustrated sterilization as the only option or would use terminology like tying tubes without any explanation, framing it to women as something that can simply untie and reverse once you want children, which is not the case. There are so many instances of the United States interfering with individuals' reproductive systems without their consent. I will likely make an episode specifically on this because there are so many important cases to discuss regarding the United States government's involvement in eugenics in the United States and Puerto Rico. But for the sake of time in this episode, I'm going to focus on one instance in history, the procedure which coined the term Mississippi appendectomy. This term refers to the medical practice in the 1920s through the 1980s, where involuntary sterilizations were performed on populations that were deemed to be unfit to reproduce. By 1980, there were at least 700,000 sterilization cases in the U.S. 85% of sterilizations were done on women. 40% of the women were women of color. And 40% is a very disturbing number. The percentage of people in this country who were women of color was much less than 40% showing that black, brown, and indigenous people were targeted in particular when it came to non-consensual sterilizations. If you notice, the name of this procedure includes the word appendectomy, which is the surgical removal of the appendix. The reason for this name is because these non-consensual sterilizations were performed on people in the midst of different surgical procedures, like appendectomies and C-sections. So while a person was receiving medical care via C-section or an appendix removal, medical professionals would also perform non-consensual or coercive sterilizations with government-funded dollars. Physicians and healthcare professionals were the people coercing these women. This was my mom's generation. How are people of color in my generation supposed to trust physicians and healthcare professionals with their health and their bodies, knowing that their parents were victims to irreversible and non-consensual medical procedures? And besides the physical harm that these procedures created, we must also keep in mind the mental and psychological harm and trauma that these procedures created as well. We clearly do not have racial justice. People of color have been and continue to be taken advantage of by our communities, including medical professionals. Many people of color simply do not have the freedom to access reliable, accessible, and safe resources in terms of their rights to have children and their rights to do what they want with their bodies. A third aspect to reproductive justice is that Everyone must have the ability and the right to parent their children in safe, sustainable, and enriching communities. 
Now, based on what we've already talked about, Black people's difficulty in receiving mortgages, job application discrimination, forced sterilizations, we already see that clearly not everyone has the ability to parent their children in a safe and enriching way. On top of these different aspects of discrimination, we can look at the fact that property taxes determine the funding for public schools. Therefore, children who live in neighborhoods and cities that have lower property value, or you could say children who live in poor neighborhoods, these children in these neighborhoods have lower funding and resources in their schools. They have more underpaid teachers. They have higher student-to-teacher ratios. They have less books, less behavioral therapists, less academic counselors, less extracurricular activities. That in itself the fact that your neighborhood's property value determines your quality of life and quality of academics and schools show that many individuals in our country, disproportionately people of color, do not have the ability and the right to parent their children in a safe and empowering environment. Not to mention that these poor neighborhoods were purposefully created to be poor neighborhoods and they were purposefully created for racial minorities to live there. This is an overwhelming truth in our history referred to as redlining. I highly recommend you look into it. I'll provide a link to more info on redlining in the bio of this episode. With the history of redlining and its relevance today, with the way our cities handle budgets and spending and how school funding works, along with many other aspects in our society, Parents in low-income communities and communities of color clearly do not have the ability and the right to raise their children in a safe and enriching environment, which is a violation to reproductive justice. And the last aspect that I'd like to share with you about reproductive justice is that everyone must have the freedom to envision a positive future for their children without the fear of their family's health and safety being at risk. Off the top of our heads, we know that people of color have less opportunities to envision a healthy and safe future for their children. There have been more than 300 black people who have been killed by the police in 2020. It is June now. In the first six months of this year, 300 black people have been killed by police. In addition to talking about murder by police and police abuse, we need to talk about other aspects of the criminal justice system, like incarceration. Why... In 2015, did African-American and Hispanics make up 32% of our population, but made up 56% of incarcerated people? They make up 32% of our population, but 56% of incarcerated people, people who go to jail. Why do black women go to prison at a rate twice that of white women? The criminal justice system is robbing children of their parents. They are robbing black and brown people from raising their children in a healthy and safe way. Black people do not commit more crimes. There are just more police out there looking to convict people of color of crimes. Black women are not going to prison at twice the rate of white women because they commit more crimes. They're going to prison at twice the rate of white women simply because they are black. Families are robbed of their daughters. Children are robbed of their mothers because of systematic racism that has existed in this country for 400 plus years. In the past, black families were separated through slave owners selling and trading enslaved people. Now, black families are being separated through the criminal justice system. 
Reproductive justice clearly does not exist in this country. It is difficult to envision a future for your children free of health and safety risks when the people who are here to protect you kill people weekly simply because of what they look like. How are you supposed to experience true reproductive justice and reproductive freedom when your child's skin color is criminalized and constantly surveilled? How are you supposed to envision a safe future for black children when you see footage of a school police wrestling with and restraining an 11-year-old black girl on her school campus, supposedly for standing up on a school bus, taking too many milk cartons from the school cafeteria, and picking at a sign that's taped on a school door? Isn't that the most ridiculous thing? That is our country. That is our system. That is our law enforcement criminalizing a child's behavior and in turn abusing her for behaviors that are seen in all children every single day. There is absolutely more to say about this case, but I will stop there. The point is that time and time again for hundreds of years and still to this day, black parents and parents of color cannot confidently raise their children knowing that their children will be free from harm. That is not reproductive justice. These negative and harmful experiences that people of color go through has nothing to do with who they are. It has nothing to do with their behavior. It has everything to do with a system, a country, a social contract that has repeatedly and intentionally created a divide in power between races. To recap the four points of reproductive justice, there are four main points to ask when seeing if someone or if a government is providing individuals with reproductive justice. Number one, does everyone have the power and access to the resources needed to control whether they do or do not get pregnant? Number two, does everyone have the right to choose what is done to their bodies? Number three, Does everyone have the ability and the right to parent their children in safe, sustainable, and enriching communities? And four, does everyone have the freedom to envision a future for their children without the fear of their child's safety and health being at risk? Currently, the answer to all four of those questions in our country and in our world is overwhelmingly no. And a large aspect as to why the answers are no is because of the clear discrimination and oppression that is imposed on communities of color. We cannot achieve reproductive justice without racial justice. Given the work that I do in relationship health and sexual health education, you can imagine that reproductive justice is a common conversation. Relationship health and sexual health education is a part of reproductive justice. As I mentioned before, not only does someone need to have control over their pregnancies and have control over their bodies, they also need to have the education on the products and the procedures that they can use, how to use them, and where to get them. But it was not until the webinar that I mentioned at the start of this episode that I realized that reproductive justice has way more to do with having control over your body and your reproductive system. I learned that reproductive justice also involves the well-being of a child once they are born and living on this planet. Our system and our country from the beginning of its time has specifically targeted people of color, 
brown people, black people, indigenous people, and has deliberately built barriers for people of color to thrive. It is my goal for you to see how interrelated reproductive justice and racial justice are. We cannot have reproductive justice without racial justice. We have heard in this episode only a few, a minuscule number of cases that show that people of color have less access to the resources and less access to the freedom needed to choose when to have children and how to raise them. Instead of sitting and talking about these atrocities as I did throughout my undergraduate college career, we must strategize what we will do to no longer contribute to a political and social environment that deliberately creates systems that do not let families of color progress in a comfortable fashion, free of fear. We must listen to people, mainly people of color, who have for years strategized action plans that we can do in our community to end systemic racism and bring reproductive justice and reproductive freedom to all. 50% of Los Angeles's city budget, for example, doesn't need to go into law enforcement as it currently does. A large proportion of that should be going to crisis interventionists, homeless prevention programs, food and housing programs, school counselors, and substance abuse prevention programs. Rather than targeting, criminalizing, and being violent toward the human experience, particularly the human black experience, our city, state, and country officials need to prioritize the things that can actually uplift and enrich all communities, all communities not just mine, not just yours, all communities. So talk with your friends, talk with your family, talk with your teachers, talk with your coworkers, talk with your city officials, call out racism, call out the racism in your personal relationships, call out the racism that lives within yourself and call out the racism that lies in the foundations, laws and legislations of our countries. More to come, my friends. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the Sex Talk Love Talk podcast. Check out the bio for information that was mentioned in today's episode. If you have comments, questions, suggestions, or want to be a guest on the show, you can message me on Instagram at Sex Talk Love Talk podcast or email me sextalklovetalk at gmail.com. Until next time, take care.